Hi there, this is Nicolette Richet, your host of the Eat Real to Heal podcast. If you or someone you know has been diagnosed with a chronic degenerative disease and you've tried everything, every diet, therapy, medication, surgery, treatment, and you still can't get results, then this is the podcast for you. My guests, the research that we present, and my personal stories of helping hundreds of clients cancel surgeries, get off prescription medications, and even reverse their debilitating illnesses will inspire you to reclaim your health and to take back your life. Everything you learned in this podcast is about using organic, plant-strong, whole foods as medicine to reverse hundreds of so-called incurable chronic degenerative diseases. This podcast is a mix of real healing hero stories and in-depth conversations with leading scientists and doctors in the nutritional medicine realm. Sit back, get comfortable, and enjoy. Welcome, everybody. I am here today in the Whistler FM studio recording our podcast with Akiho and Sosuke Matsunaga. And we have an incredible story to share with you today about Akiho's journey with getting pregnant with her son, Sosuke, who is now eight years old, turning nine next month, and um, her discovery in finding out that he had Down syndrome and then later on discovering that he also had a heart condition um, in utero. And it's about her journey um, in birthing him, raising him, and getting him off his feeding tube, which is actually a pretty rare endeavor when it comes to children with these types of conditions. But it's everything that Akio had to face with the medical community, the journey with her family and her husband in raising this incredible child. Um, and we want to share this story with you because it's truly a story about being a renegade. It's about taking your health into your own hands. It's about defying the odds. And it's about the love that you have for a child and the lengths that you're willing to go for for that child. So welcome, Akiho. It's such a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you for having me. So Akiho, let's go back to the beginning because you have another daughter, um, Nana, who is, is she 11 years old now? She is. Yeah, she's 11 years old. And I met Akiho when we moved into a new neighborhood in Whistler, British Columbia, in the Athletes Village. And our homes were next to each other. And, of course, I had my little kids um, at the time. And I was pregnant with my third. And I think Sosuke was about one at the time. Yes. Right? And Nana was probably about three. She was two or three? Three. Yeah. And this beautiful child, super healthy, running around. And um, and then you had Sosuke, another beautiful child, um, also scooting around everywhere. I remember he was quite little at the time. Um, and I was pregnant, pregnant with my big belly. And um, Sosuke, you know, it was evident that he had Down syndrome. Yes. I saw that. But what was so inspiring to me about the story is the fact that you found out in utero that he had Down syndrome. Can you tell me about being pregnant and when you found that out? And what was that like for you? Um, yes, um, the pre- 2009 July, I had my first ultrasound in Whistler. Then already that time, um, the technician realized the abnormality. So we are referred to um, BC Women's right away. Then we had another ultrasound, and they thought uh, Soske has Down syndrome, but not did they didn't know exactly unless we have the genetic test so uh 
but also at that time they found out he has some heart issues. So they asked us, you know, what we are going to do. Basically, they were asking if we are going to continue our pregnancy or not. So we had a genetic counselor come, uh, came in, and we had a lot of intense um, checkup constantly. And uh, because of the heart defect, he already they already detected the cardiology team also came in, and we had uh, lots of uh, discussion what's going on and that kind of things. And that was a quite intense. And uh, Junichi's I had a difficult time because we didn't know what was going to happen. But uh, myself, when I heard I was going, you know, he, my son, um, had probably Down syndrome. I kind of felt like, oh, um, special boy is coming to me somehow. Wow, that's what I felt, and. Uh, I I met Down syndrome children before, and they were really unique, but also they were happy people, and I I didn't have all the negative um, um, impression that time. I had a good impression with them, so I I was somehow felt like special things gonna happen to me. Wow. That's- and it has been a pretty special journey um, with Sosuke in the world, not just for you, but for everybody that he encounters, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, our kids are in school together, and actually Sosuke and my youngest daughter, um, they're in grade two together at the Whistler Waldorf School. Mm-hmm. Now, you were in Whistler at this time, so every time you needed to go to the hospital, it was about a two to a two and a half hour drive. Yes. Um, and what was that like? Because we do live in a town where there are not a ton of kids with special needs, and do we even say special needs now? What are the words? Like, I always want to make sure we get the language right. I think we still say special needs. Okay, yes. good, perfect. Um, and so um, here you are in Whistler, quite a distance from the hospital. And um, had the doctors, you know, given you any kind of prediction, any prognosis for, you know, how well he would do in utero and making it to, to birth and what that would be like? Um, they... They explained each time what the results like, but uh, they didn't. Uh, they didn't know what's going to happen. I think because really complicated. So there, um, they. I felt like uh, that. Later on, I noticed that uh, there was really low chance for him to survive because uh, there was also they thought also he was going to have a um, trisomy eighteen which is uh, another um, genetic uh, issues many children, some children have, and uh, it's rare, and it's more complicated one. So if that's the case, not many children, um, you know, come out, you know, so even make a, um, birth, or even they were born, they, they are born, they um, don't make the first uh, birthday. So um, I, later I, I found that he, his chance is not that good to survive a pregnancy and even the first year. So, um, but uh, I, my fee, I just, you know, decided to just go with him. You know, if he's gonna make it, he's gonna make it, and that's and I will go. Oh, whatever he gonna make, I will follow. That's what I made. Amazing. And did you have family or friends that, you know, tried to advise you other ways or, you know, was that you were clear in that decision and everybody knew that? 
we didn't say much to other people all that time. As、uh, the Junichi and I had enough to discuss mangas, and that was energy draining. And also, we didn't know how to explain to our families who are in Japan. It's really far,、mm-hmm. and、uh, we didn't want to make them too worry about it. So we they sensed something was going on, but we didn't say much about what's happening with us. So,、um, Sosuke makes it to term, and you give birth to him. Yes. Okay, and he comes out into the world. And what happened at that point? So he was born. Then the because the team already knew he needed to go.、Um, he needed to have a, lots of support. So he was born at BC Ch-、uh, Women's, and right away the BC Children's team was there. They were the, the one facility, but the the team was there, and it took him to. Um, an ICU. Obviously, he needed to have oxygen support, and also、um, eventually he got uh, his uh, feeding tube from nasal. So he got the nasal tube right away to be supported. Okay,、mm-hmm. so you're in ICU and you have this baby.、Um, he has Down syndrome. He in the heart condition. What was needed for? Did you know he had a heart condition at this point? Yes, and、uh, he had、uh, um, tricuspid valve leakage. So basically, his、uh, one of the valve in in the heart was not closing properly. So his、uh, the, the blood supposed to go one way, but、uh, his blood was actually backing up. So the oxygenate oxygenate <laughs> blood and non oxygenated blood were mixing up, and then the, also he had multiple complications due to because of that. And he has a um, liver. Um, it's the blood,、um, lots of blood in the liver, and also the, his uh, um, um, lung. The pressure was、uh, not the right portion, so it was also backing up his blood, not the right way to. So everything is a kind of a.、Um, Not working well, so he was basically really swollen because of that one, and his heart was really big because blood was not going well properly. So he, it was really big,、uh, almost a wall-to-wall size. And so at this point, you're seeing your son who has multiple things going on now.、Um, and how are you feeling at this point? Were you, you were you terrified? Were you, you know, you say that you felt like you had this special child coming to you. Were you hopeful? Like the medical team was there on it twenty four seven, and so taking care of him. How did you feel at that point?、Um, I was happy he went point, you know, one way because he made it. So that was a big celebration. But at the same time, I was really kind of confused. You know, if he stayed in my, you know,、um, tummy, he was okay. He could, you know, he was okay. But、uh, then once he came out, he needed so much support and pain too. So that was a really hard feeling, and you know,、um, but. It, Of course, he needed to come out, so、yeah. he, he couldn't stay forever in my tummy. So,、um, so yeah, his life began. And how can I help him? And and I, well, you know, also I wanted to know what he was thinking or how he was. Of course, he no infant could answer, but、uh, we needed to make so many things for him. Like、uh, one week after his.、Um, 
birth, we need to decide if he is going to have a surgery or not. If he didn't have surgery, there was not no chance for him to survive more because his heart, his condition was already going down. You know, getting difficult. So doctor said if he didn't have the surgery, we don't think he would make next week. So it was really difficult surgery too. So Junichi and I were wondering, how can we decide this kind of things? Who we want to ask? We wanted to ask Sosuke. Oh, Sosuke. So what do you want to do? Because we we don't know because the surgery itself is so complicated. He's going to have more pain. Is this what you want or not? So, you know, that was really hard. And we knew we needed to make so many decisions after that, you know, along his uh, life journey. And uh, we didn't know if we could make this kind of big decision as a parent. So it was huge responsibility. I can't even imagine what that moment was like in the hospital. And um, so, but you obviously made the decision to have the surgery. I mean, we all know, you know, Sosuke is nine now, um, almost nine. Mm -hmm. And so the surgery was successful, but there was many more surgeries after that. Yes. So he, this, yes. So that time we had first week his heart surgery. Actually, he, he didn't have the heart fixing because it was too complicated too risky so he had more like a vein fixing kind of things and uh, then a week after he did a catheter operation to his liver um, to block too many veins carrying um, blood to the liver so that he had a catheter operation to block some veins and with the um, was some glue and the, it's a so that was the another surgery he had and nine weeks he was there then he came home but he had um, his heart condition was not good his oxygen level was going down so he was airlifted to in a uh, ICU back to children's again and uh, there he had a heart failure and he had another catheter operation as well, too. Then more other operation came um, first two or three years. And um, did the doctors expect him to live to even just be one years old? Did they expect him to live the next 12 months at no, that point? They thought he was going to, he wouldn't be more than six months wow. after the birth. Okay, so you keep persevering. And meanwhile, um, when I met you in your home the first time, I remember like you had a full setup there and you had a nurse that would come in at night and um, you were up at night anyway. I, I mean, I just remember thinking like, how is this mom doing it and how is this dad doing it? And plus you had, you know, Nana running around and she's about three years old at this time. Um, and, you know, he was downstairs in, like he had a crib set up in the living room. He had, he was, there was an oxygen um, system set up for him as well. Um, you know, he had the feeding tube in and was he wearing, he was, was he wearing the backpack or did he have that little bag at the time? Like for the feeding tube, he must have, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I remember yes. that bag <laughs> and he used to beep when the food wasn't going through and yeah. And so um, here you are pretty much parenting. I mean, we all parent 24-7, but this is literally 24-7. And so you're sleep deprived at this time. Yes. And you have no idea. I remember being on the bus with Junichi one day um, going to work. And he, 
you know, he had said that was the first time that he told me that they had not expected Sosuke to live, you know, even to be and at that time, he must have been about three or four years old. And I just started crying, um, you know, there on the bus being like, how as a parent do you do that? Not knowing that your child is going to be there the next day um, or the next week or the next month. Um, and I saw how much love that you gave to this child. And, you know, and what was that like um, going through that? Because I can only just imagine what it's like, but are you just taking it one day at a time, one hour at a time, or what was it like during that, those next few years? Um, yes, one at a time. We couldn't think, you know, um, you know, what's coming next even. Just we need to deal with the things in front of us. And uh, I, somewhere I, I felt like no matter what, we'll have the end of this tunnel that, you know, and the light is there. I don't know what's the end like, but there will be the end of these things. We just keep keep walking in one step at a time. And uh, we had lots of great support. Like, as you said, nursing, um, nurses came in and they helped us to give us some sleep. And also they listened to my stories of what I wanted to say or I whatever we... I couldn't share with other people, even with Junich sometimes, and how I'm feeling. They they were there to listen to me, and uh, we had also hospice support as well too, and the families were just listening and follow and supporting us. Though they couldn't do much, but they they respected our choice and they just uh, be there when we needed. And so and also Nana was there, and she's a happy girl, and she was there to um, show us, you know, why we are here. You know, we, as a family, we don't need to be just focused on the medical issues. As a family, we want to just enjoy our life together. And uh, so I wanted Nana to experience regular childhood as well, too. Yeah. So we, we try to balance that one as well. And also um, the most important things what we knew was whenever we held Sosuke, we felt it would be okay. He he was so calm no matter what was going on. He he never cried because of the tube was um, blocking or this oxygen is not working properly on his face. And often he he was vomiting every day. I remember then, that. Uh, yeah. Two or three times. But he never cried. He never cried even though the, all the vomit even went through his nose. He didn't cry. And that if he cried, you know, he showed um, uncomfortable pain um, symptoms. That would have been very hard for us. But he was such a happy child no matter what happened. So we, we knew this was going to be okay. Uh, yeah, I remember into this day, I mean, every time I see him, he's the most happiest child um, ever and always just present. And, you know, you feel love flowing from this child. And I know when I had my youngest daughter, Sadie, um, she was a year and a bit younger than him. And she would just rush to him and hug him so hard, <laughs> like the feeding bag, everything, knock yeah. him off his little scooter that he had. And um, yeah, she, it, she innately felt that as well, um, as my other children did as well. So now, Sosuke had a feeding tube in, right? And, you know, that meant you there was a special formula that was supplied or that you would get and put that into the feeding tube for him. And that would enter into, was that entering into his small intestine or large intestine? 
Yes. Uh, initially, he had a uh, nasal one. Then yeah. eventually, he had a G tube. He needed to have surgery to make a hole to go to his stomach. And uh, that was a little bit hard uh, experience for me because then the, after that, still he was vomiting. He was still not gaining weight. So the doctor recommended to have an uh, sorry, GJ tube, it goes to all the way to the jejunum, so it passed his stomach to the uh, intestine. So yes, that's right. Um, eventually he got that one, and still he was vomiting. It's still all the time. And I remember the day when you said, you know, we want to try to, you know, get him off of his feeding tube. And I, you know, would... At the time, I knew nothing about this. Um, this was all like, very new knowledge for me. Um, and I work with people with chronic disease, you know, and the stuff that you were dealing with was really all um, very much like acute conditions, like around his heart, um, you know, around, you know, feeding and how to get the nutrients into him and the vomiting and needing oxygen, um, you know, um, almost around the clock, you know, everything. And so, you know, and we have such an incredible medical system when it comes to acute care. Um, where I think our medical system fails is around the chronic disease. It's the stuff that's lifestyle induced and lifestyle created. So, you know, one of the reasons why I'm loving doing this show with you is because it really shows the incredible power of um, our medical community, like Children's Hospital, um, and all the support systems like the Canuck Center, um, where, you know, that gave you an opportunity to go and rest and, you know, bring Soske there. And um, so we have all of these brilliant resources. But then you came up against a challenge when you wanted to get him off the feeding tube. And I was curious about how you were going to do that because um, from what I could see and what you were telling me is that he couldn't eat food. He didn't know how because he had never developed the skills, um, you know, similar to when you start feeding a baby around like six to eight months. They have to learn how to put food in their mouth and they have to learn how to swallow. And, um, and you know, for me, I was curious how you were going to do that. So um, tell me about how that process went because that for me is really where I see that, you know, you had already made so many um, hard decisions. You had already made, you know, so many, um, you know, life-saving decisions for Soske because he wouldn't be there if you hadn't made those decisions like around the heart surgery, around even just carrying him to term, you know, everything. And so now here you have this child who's, you know, was he about four or five years old at that time? That time was five years old. Five years old. Mm -hmm. And now you're deciding to get him off the feeding tube. Um, and tell me how you even thought about that. Like, was it because it wasn't your doctors who were saying, hey, you can get him off his feeding tube, was it? No. And uh, from the beginning, um, when he got to feeding tube, we got a really thick manual how to deal with it. And uh, but at the same time, when I, I was questioning, okay, we got the manual how to start this one. And it, is there any manual or somebody who help us to end or wean off? this one but that so that was my question all the time where is this information who is going to help us to do this and i started researching that already from the beginning but then i didn't see any information nobody said clearly and so i was questioning then the one point i started um, doing the research online and went to the library at the BC Children's and then then the lively person helped me to f uh, find a couple of things and she found the word uh, tube weaning. Tube weaning. Tube weaning. Then, then that word helped me to hit, uh, get into the, all the resources online 
and uh, you know some people actually in the same situation dealing with these kind of things and uh, there are a couple of programs to do the fee uh, winning off from the tube so I was so excited okay now I got the answer so I want to do this but uh, but at the same time I also found the resources at BC Children's they started doing the complex feeding team one and a half year before so around when Soski was born they made a, a team so oh okay there is a team there too so let's try this one too so I started hitting some resources then the, then I got the point that he can do the um, swallowing test and that will help them to understand where he's at, what kind of skills he has, and physiological issues if he has. So I was so excited to have this test. Then the day before, they phoned me to confirm the um, appointment, and then they noticed, oh, so he doesn't swallow anything. And I said, no, because he never had a chance to do that. And the, the person said, then I can't do the test. And I went, why is that? Because this is a t- swallowing test. He needs to swallow at least two tablespoons. And I was shocked. He can't swallow. Of course, I understand. But who is going to teach us, you know, help us to teach this baby how to swallow two tablespoons of something? And uh, that was my challenge. So I there was nobody there to... Nobody. Just because, well, we had so many people, but nobody told me how to teach this baby to swallow two tablespoons. Oh, That's the big challenge and uh, then I was shocked because you know who as a, I, I work with uh, um, early childhood educate, education field then the, seeing so many babies and I thought you know eating is a natural thing for human beings to do but uh, actually it's not actually it's a learning process so babies were you know born and first they have you know, a milk but from there they need to learn how to eat and i knew that but i thought it was naturally it's naturally occurred but it's not they need to learn so that was a big learning for me so first things okay some i need to find somebody who will teach him these, these things two tablespoons but uh, from there i i couldn't figure it out ot helped us special uh, also speech therapists can some speech therapists can um, teach us how to help him. We try so many things, but still this boy doesn't swallow anything. And I pull my hair, you know, what What should I do? What should I do? Then mm-hmm. I eventually I found uh, uh, some programs based on the uh, hunger base program. And one of them was No Tube from Austria. And uh, and uh, A hunger base program. So they yes. stimulate hunger and yes. which then obviously would force the child to want to swallow something. Yes, okay. yes, because uh, he 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 doesn't have the rhythm of hunger, then eat hunger. He never experienced because he's always has a feeding tube. Yes, yeah. and it was all scheduled like a th- every three hours he's fed. He never had uh, hunger. And I talked to one um, teenager who had a f- uh, feeding tube at Children's Hospital, and I asked if he had hung- hunger or how what what kind of experience he has. It, and he, he said, I don't feel any hunger. And so would Soske, if you hadn't made this decision to try and get him off the feeding tube, is, would, did the doctors just think like he'll be on a feeding tube for the rest of his life? At least a couple more years because okay. he was not gaining properly. Yeah. He needs more nutrition, proper nutrition until he, he gets certain age. But uh, I felt like uh, he needs to have more, um, he's ready, I felt, because 
there were not um, uh, physiological issues for him to eat, or oh, and also um, his heart was using so much en- you know energy to work properly. So the eating was also an, uh, the energy taking mm-hmm. um, for infants. But he's was growing and he's managing his heart condition, and he has energy to probably start eating. So we really wanted him to eat because eat, eat, eating itself includes so many um, elements like uh, you know his development, not only eating, you know, moving mouth, but also f- the texture and uh, all the smell and uh, sensory input to his brain, as well as uh, as a family to eat together and the social um, skills he get, he learned and the cultural things. We, I think, a human being has a whole its whole bit big culture based on the eating. So it's a huge part of a human being. So I really wanted him to experience eating and uh, um, or natural e- um, food to his body if he can. He, and I know some children need to have feeding tube forever and that's also um, the big skill and also um, involved lots of cultural things. So I think now I consider eating was not only oral but all other devices also yeah. totally eating um, uh, skills and process. But anyway, I, I believe he can do it and Junichi believed he can do it. That's what we felt. Then one point we, um, one day, I remember 2015 February when I woke up, his device was completely off middle of the night and his GJ tube was on the floor and Soski was on the bed and I couldn't figure out what happened. Then the, I noticed oh, it came off and once the tube comes off, we need to take him to the hospital as soon as possible before his um, tube hole closed because after four hours it started closing and then, then it will be difficult to reinsert so I needed to bring him to um, VC Children's right away and I had those kind of thing in the past few times too And but that particular morning I felt that's it, we had enough and somehow I felt he had enough too, he, he's ready so we started to um, really um, drawn to do uh, some program to help him to wean off. Okay, so I remember that day because I remember he had to go back down to the hospital, I believe, and have the tube reinserted, mm-hmm. right? So you said, this is it. It's almost like a sign. The tube is out. Um, let's just do it. So you have the confidence to do it. Now, we are going to take a break right now. Um, and when we come back, I want you to tell everyone um, what happened at that moment because I was really shocked by the reaction that you received when you told um, your medical team and you were just looking for help like to get him off the feeding tube so let's take a break and we'll come right back Hi, we are back with Akiho, who's telling us about her journey um, with giving birth to a beautiful son, Sosuke, um, who was born with Down syndrome, heart conditions, um, who survived all the odds, and he wasn't even expected to live six months. He's nine years old now, and it's about her journey um, from his conception all the way through to getting him off his feeding tube and watching this child blossom. And he's now in grade two with my daughter at the Whistler Waldorf School. Um, We're at the part now where we are um, talking about when Akiho 
um, makes a decision with her husband, Janichi, to actually say, enough is enough. We're going to get my son off this feeding tube and he's going to start eating. Meanwhile, he had no skills whatsoever to be able to swallow food. And there was nobody to help her understand how to teach a child to swallow food. So, Akiho, welcome back. Thank you. And so... I remember you telling me the story and I was so shocked. This is why I actually wanted to do the podcast with you because you had done all of this research. You had, you know, the librarian librarian help you um, find the perfect words to Google, which was um, tube weaning, which then led you to all this research about how to get, you know, a child off a feeding tube. And here you've done all of this research. And I remember you saying you found one person and I can't remember where in the world they were, whether they were in Japan or another part of the world, and they had successfully done it. Okay, so here you are, a mother, you know, who's working with a medical team, um, who's, you know, that team has helped to save your child's life mm-hmm. um, with the help of your motivation, yours and your husband's motivation to continue to work and do anything to save his life. You've just gone through five years of, like, no sleep, um, you know, pretty much 24-7, um, you know, um, care for your child, um, but you still keep fighting. You're still like, no, I'm going to go against the odds and I'm going to get my child off of this feeding tube. So what happened when you went and told the medical team that you wanted to do this? Um, their opinion was uh, different from ours. They said Soski still needs feeding tube, obviously, and uh, they weren't um, not uh, um, agreeing with going on the hunger base. And actually it's not, you know, they their idea of hunger is really, you know, starve until he's, you know, really, really, I need to eat. Kind of, it's not like that, but I think a hunger base is, um, was the, uh, not the good idea to them. And uh, um, they said uh, they were not able to support us at the time because we are basically going to the different direction. So there are not uh, um, um, kind of um, their place to support that one, which I understand. And also our position was not also um, that time, the time or previously we discussed a couple of times that again for, um, you know, this doctor was also, really great and uh, supporting us and uh, helping Sosuke to gain weight so he was he was not happy you know to go kind of almost going back um to that so he was not um supporting us so we basically didn't have any medical team here around us um supporting what we wanted to do but at the same time no two team asked us to um have medical support here because uh this is very important for them because we chose to do net coaching so everything will be done by online which is fascinating and uh, that means they need to have somebody who monitor us here so uh, we first things we did was uh, we need to look for some uh, somebody doctor who will uh, help us then eventually we went back to the very first uh, pediatrician who was there when Sofsky was born at BC Children's and uh, she agreed to support us and uh, she didn't know anything about no two and uh, but she just um, trusted uh, our gut feeling what we needed to do and she would support us and she could do she would do whatever she could do for us to do the no tube. So that was a really exciting moment. And uh, 
um, even meanwhile, I even talked to the um, some palliative care doctor as well about weird choice, and he said, uh, "Are you sure you're judging this one? And you need to take take care of now his, you know, oral care as well too." And when I heard about that, why? I don't want to do it. It's if it's my son, all moms or parents care about the oral care. So it's natural things for me to do. But the, uh, they for them they that may be extra work for us on top of everything. And I understand their perspective as well. And plus, some some doctors said, oh, oh, you know, tube feeding must be easier because it's already scheduled and the, you it's you know you pour milk and it's done and the but it's not actually. It's you know when the pump doesn't work, it doesn't work. We need to manage it. The the beep goes on you know middle of the night. You need to wake up and go there. He throws up every time, and uh, that limited where we go. We don't want him to go somewhere in a concert, or and he throws up there, and we 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 don't want to ruin the whole experience there. So there are some limitation because of the tube feeding, and uh, um, so. At that point, we were, you know, we are ready to go, and we found a doctor who, one doctor who is going to support us, and uh, we said, it's ready, ready to go. So you found somebody online who is going to walk you through this and coach you through this, mm-hmm. okay? And where were they in the world? Um, this uh, one is based in the uh, Austria, Graz, and okay. there is a children's hospital, and the team there were uh, uh, did this uh, winning to winning for over t- 30 years wow. and almost uh, when they the world started using the uh, tube feeding for children so they're there from the beginning and they as I said they did uh, lots of things uh, in-house mm-hmm. or out of the uh, hospital care on, on site but uh, they noticed that there are so many people need this program so they started doing it online so we chose to do this. So the doctor was actually also traveling uh, to share this information. And one time uh, we, when we emailed, she was in Israel. And uh, another time she was somewhere other Europe country. So she was traveling everywhere. And uh, um, they, we could contact her and also her team um, 24, within 24 hours. We needed to report what he was like the day and they responded within 24 hours so they gave us always to try to do this and reduce this way and uh, so they were there next to us so this is amazing because here you are uh, you're at children's hospital they've given you like the best of the best care to get your son to this point Um, but you have to go online google tube weaning find on your own that there's actually a center, a hospital in the world in Graz, Austria, where is actually where my biological father is from. Um, and so I've been there. It's an incredible place. But one of, so you find this place in Austria and um, decide to sign up for this program. Like you obviously, you know, you haven't spent years researching them. Like it's been mm-hmm. probably like, you know, a few months to like maybe like a year or two, like trying to make this decision. So this is the kind of thing that I am talking about and I try and teach my clients is you have to go above and beyond that you might have a really great medical doctor and a lot of people tell me like, oh, my doctor's so nice. Mm-hmm. They say, my doctor is so, yes, human beings for the most part are really nice. Mm-hmm. But niceness and skill and knowledge 
are not the same thing. Mm -hmm. So you might have a doctor who's really knowledgeable in certain areas mm -hmm. of health here in Canada, but there's an entire world that knows so many other things and different ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. um, and so you decide to take you know this into your own hands. You find this team in Austria. You um, say, I'm going to engage with them. And then you try and find support here in Canada. And they say, no way, except for one person. Mm -hmm. So I love that part about your story as well, because it's a, what we teach our clients is that you might get no, 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 no from everybody um, around you. And of course, because we teach food as medicine. Mm -hmm. So food as medicine when you're diagnosed with cancer, when you're diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder like lupus or MS or diabetes, it doesn't matter, heart conditions, um, infertility. At the end of the day, our body needs nutrients. Mm -hmm. And um, we teach our clients how to do this. But it's um, incredible how many times doctors will tell my clients, there's no relationship between nutrients and diet mm -hmm. and your illness. They're two different things. And I'll have clients will say, yeah, my doctor told me don't bother switching my diet. And then they don't. Mm -hmm. So they're not able to see the outcomes that they could get if they did that. But here you are, a child with Down syndrome. You've gone through... I mean, you have climbed mountains with this child already, and here you are climbing another mountain. Now, so you find this pediatrician mm -hmm. who is going to help you work with this team in Austria, and you do. So what was that like then after that when you were getting him off the feeding tube? Like, how did you teach Sosuke how to swallow? Um, by that time, he started showing a little bit of interest and, uh, you know, how he swallow. Because it's so um, he he never drooled, and the, the, some doctor said that's a sign he's swallowing, and oh okay, <laughs> so we had some skills he had there. But anyway, so when we started the tube weaning with no no tube, we reduced you know um, amount of his uh, formula, and the first two weeks or something he didn't anything. You know, he, he, no matter how much we put the food out, we, he didn't do anything, you know. Then the, um, we also recommended to do the, a picnic and uh, food picnic. They, that was a big thing. It's basically, it's just not at the table. Just to put every, all the food on the floor and the children explore. So uh, that was summertime. So I took Sosuke every afternoon after school to the uh, Meadow Park and spread my um, picnic uh, mat and put all the food and among and um, other children playing. And it's important to have other children around because it's not the test or anything. So it's natural things. So other children there, are some children eating beside him on the like picnic. So he needs to see other children doing. So that's how he learns. So we studied, you know, basically explore texture and let him to play food. And uh, eventually he started putting his hand and it was food in his mouth. And I was so excited. And uh, um, so we just continued whatever they, ex and they also gave us some advice to, you know, what kind of food we should try. Like one of the things was uh, try um, really strong flavor. And their, from their experience, somehow these two fat children like strong flavor. So strong smell of cheese or uh, um, you know, peanut butters uh, or smoothie, whatever. Um, just a strong texture and the smell. So and uh, we tried these kind of things. And one day he started um, eating uh, hummus. 
And it's garlic, really garlicky one, but he started eating hummus. At, uh, we were at the Whistler Blackhamon's party, and he started hummus, hummus, hummus. And, oh, my gosh, he's eating hummus. We were so heaven. So we gave hummus, you know, um, all throughout the day five times. We just gave hummus five um, and two weeks. Then he started somehow moving on ice cream and hagen dazs and at one point we needed to decide to wean off him <laughs> from hagen dazs because <laughs> it was so expensive to hear in whistler so um and the so one doctor said yeah not the doctor our friend said well i think all of us need to wean off from the hagen dazs <laughs> yes. but anyway and then he moved on the uh, greek yogurt and then for two weeks and he ate just peanut butter for two weeks so um he had his way to explore the food it's not an usual way, but we were so happy he started eating. And uh, during that time, his formula amount was dropping, and we needed to reduce. And uh, he, it was scary. He was losing weight, and he was 12.6 kilo. Then he he lost two kilo, 10.6. That was huge for that age group and when we hit the 10.6 a team said okay just uh, stop it so he, they helped us to where to stop as well too and we once he got back energy we started um started again so um it was a exciting experience but also really scary yeah i yeah. can imagine because um no parent wants to see their child lose weight at no. all i mean mm-hmm. it's the number one thing everybody's concerned about from the moment the baby is born or mm-hmm. even when they're in utero is the baby gaining weight are they growing and um so at this point how long like, how long was this process when you started you know weaning him off the feeding tube reducing his formula and then increasing the food like is this over a period of like months and months um, how how long was that process? It was amazing. We just started it um, beginning with June, and uh, by the end of July, he didn't have any milk by tube. That's uh, so over a month, almost uh, two months. Then he's done, and then from there we reduced his um, liquid amount. It took a, a month, but then so for three months, just only three months, then he's done. The weaning off. And was he eating solids by this point? That time was he was more like a, um, some solid and also some um, paste kind of things. But it was not like a baby um, gradually in, um, going to have a solid food. Like a, because he was already five years old, he was really. Um, we were told, or some research said, children who you know also go with the age, no matter what kind of skills they have. When they have you know, you know five years old, it may be better to give him a solid food, like uh, really him to control. It's a control issue as well too. So instead of you know liquid the or um, smooth kind of type of things, he can't control because he doesn't have a skill. But Grabbing and biting, he can control, so not using spoon either, so he doesn't need that kind of spoon skill, he doesn't need, so he could grab, he could eat, so like cheese was good too, so he was suddenly from, you know, no food to grabbing and eating cheese, solid cheese, or pancakes, so he loved pancakes, so that time, so um, yeah, that was totally unique experience and then that four the two kilos that he lost he gained that back he it took for two years for him to get back okay and we also knew after um to weaning to fat children often doesn't gain 
for a while. We don't know why, and uh, um, but that's the struggle so many families experience after tube weaning. Is like my child is now eating, but not eating, uh, gaining. So do we give? Are we giving the right amount of food, or you know, right, right? things for the discharge so that's another whole experience uh, journey we need to figure out what works for the, the child to gain weight and he didn't have many variety at the beginning as I said he only ate limited um, um, items and uh, gradually we increased and also texture was again like he's not good at still chewing so lots of uh, meat need to be cut up and he he's not good at a fresh veggie and fruit yet so now um he these days recently he started eating cooked uh fruit you know as well except banana banana was okay from the beginning but other than banana he doesn't eat any fresh fruits unless i cook so which, which I think is actually um, very conducive to um, the state of his body, which is the state of a lot of people who um, have diminished immune systems or have diminished um, gut health. And basically, when I have a client who comes to me and they have allergies and autoimmune disorders or cancer or diabetes, I mean, we, you know, as much as fresh fruit is amazing, they just don't have the microbiome in their large intestine and all throughout their body mm-hmm. to be able to handle this fresh food. Um, it takes a lot of energy, like you had mentioned earlier, to digest food and to process it. And if they don't have the microbiome capacity to break down the food, because actually we feed our microbiome before we even feed our own cells. And so it makes sense that, you know, he's going to eat cooked fruit and cooked vegetables, which is exactly what we encourage our clients to do. It's almost like taking them back to that infant state Mm -hmm. um, where their guts are still fresh and new. They've only really been exposed to like mother's breast milk or formula. And you have to build that up over time. And it can take a couple years to do so. Um, And you start with the cooked food. And then as the microbiome gets really strong, then you introduce the fresh uncooked foods um, in addition to always cooked food as well. So that doesn't um, surprise me very much. And it's just about the energetic capacity to break down cooked food. You let the heat break it down and all that fibrous food and expose the cells and all its nutrients to you so that your body doesn't need to use its own caloric heat to do that. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And bananas, of course, are an easy one to, mm-hmm. to digest. So what did your medical team think about about you at this point? Because now you have him off his feeding tube. Um, he's doing quite well. And the one thing I noticed when he was off his tube, I could not believe. It was like night and day. Like he seemed to, um, you know, grow a couple inches. He seemed like his teeth came in, which, mm-hmm. um, you know, they, he had had a couple teeth, but not all of them at this point by five um, had come in. He was saying, so, I remember you saying, oh my gosh, his vocabulary just exploded. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? He was riding a bike. Um, like there was just so many things. I think, was he walking at this point too? He just started walking before the weaning off. So weaning off started June and he started walking April. Okay. So uh, it kind of happened the same time too. But uh, definitely just uh, for him without having two, he had more freedom to move around mobile-wise, and he didn't to carry the backpack. So that was a big thing uh, for him. And uh, um, what we noticed right away when we did uh, started the tube weaning was he stopped vomiting. And then uh, he had a couple of medication that time, and the two of them were um, um, reducing his... Uh, um, uh, stomach acidity or control no vomiting issues and uh, right away we noticed 
we don't need this medication anymore. So we contacted our um, pediatrician again, and you know he's not vomiting anymore in the middle of the tube weaning. And do we need to take this? So she suggested to take one at a time. So we took one off, and when we completed another one, we stopped, and totally fine. So it changed. And so much freedom for you as well, except for the fact that I do remember coming out of my house and you'd be like, I can't find Soski. And he was on his scooter and he would just move so fast. Yes. And on his bike, he'd be on the other side of like the, the complex. It was, yeah, that was um, so sweet to watch that progression with him. Um, and so now you have him off the feeding tube entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, and how has he been since then? He's doing great, and uh, um, yeah, as you said, the speech is amazing, and uh, still nowadays it, it surprises me when what he starts saying and what he understands, and uh, I don't know this is because of the um, food things, but uh, um, he's quite stable, quite healthy, quite strong, and he's biking around everywhere, and uh, and a phys- physiotherapist who knows him from the beginning and really always you know amazed what he can do and now he does swimming and he loves swimming and uh, often we take him to um, rock climbing and uh, he just loves to hang on the (laughs) rocks and then that's great too and uh, uh, one other things we had was the feed tube was uh, because um, he had lots of leakage he had lots of a skin problem around his stomach too, and uh, after he had he two we we just you know he's weaning off, his uh, stomach didn't close properly, so we needed to the, give the stitches you know surgery to close it, and uh, after right after surgery he he got ice you know pop a skull right I think lots of children do that after the surgery. And he was eating, and he looked at his stomach, and expecting him knowing um, um, something coming out because he had an old irritation. So usually, what he, something ha- he eats, and sometimes you know, um, acid comes out, irritate his stomach. So he looked at it, but he noticed nothing coming out. He looked at me and a kind of a smile, and he kept eating, wow. almost knowing he he said, "It's done." Wow. And, uh, yeah, he, he, he knows what was going on. He understood what was happening. And uh, often we talk about it. Yeah, sometimes these days I ask him, and uh, you know you had, uh, you had two buttons. One was for feeding, and, uh, and he said, yes. <laughs> so, and I asked him, was, did it hurt you? And he, he said, yes. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it's true or not, but he I think he understood. I, I believe he understood, and uh, he also had pain that time too. Yeah. But he, he know it. He knows it's done. Wow, that is incredible. Um, one of the things that um, I know you shared with me is that you went through this beautiful experience getting your son off a feeding tube, and then afterwards you helped another family with yes. their child get off a feeding tube as well. And um, did they find you, or did you reach out to them? How did that relationship start? Um, that was uh, actually, uh, I initially got to know them through the social network. There, it's amazing thing is that there is a, a lots of uh, groups or parents who are going through this uh, kind of things. And one of the 
group I joined, um, I kind of found that there is a family who is experiencing the same thing. Then I started working at the daycare, and the, the, the family was also there. And eventually I started, um, um, became the support worker for, for this child. And I worked with uh, him for two, about two years. And the, their journey is uh, similar, but also somewhat different. And they, they explored so many things like I did. And they chose a different way to wean off. And successfully, it was done. And that was amazing, too. And, uh, and uh, I was glad I could some way um, be there and support them. That is amazing because, I mean, you could have just gone ahead and continued with your life. You have all of this freedom now that comes from having a child who's off his weeding too, but you decide to pay it forward and you help this other family do the same thing, which probably has given them so much freedom as well. Now, what happened after this is I think it's quite interesting because um, you had gone through, it's what is it, like six years now of you know, almost 24-7 clock care with the feeding tube beeping in the background. I know you mentioned to me how Junichi would sometimes, you know, hear this beeping and say, did you hear that? Did you hear that? And you're like, no, there's no feeding bag anymore. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, so that's gone. You help this family and then all of a sudden your health crashes. Yes. Which is pretty typical. I mean, it's similar to the story of like the academic who's studying for their midterms or their final exams and then it's over and then they crash and get sick or the business person, the entrepreneur who's going hard, hard, hard. Then they go on vacation and they're sick the entire time. It's like the system just crashes after that adrenaline rush is over. And do you think that's what happened to you? Oh, yes, totally. Yes. For me, like uh, two feeding was a and also caring about feeding things was 24-7 hours, and suddenly it's gone. And uh, it was great change, but at the same time, my body needed to adjust. And also, at the same time, that some of the issues I I didn't, you know, you know, focus on so much suddenly came up, <laughs> came up, and I started. Now, okay, what am I supposed to do? These kind of things. So, so many things I need to think about. So, obviously, our immune system went down, and I got shingles, and uh, I I was in bed almost three or four months, and that that was huge. You know, I needed to now notice. Okay, I need to look after myself because my son is so now okay, so healthy. I need to be healthy too enjoy life together so that's the point I got I need to do myself something and also my husband Junichi he was also um started feeling you know his energy is not there and he went through this journey together of course he had same kind of things some of the nights he was doing the feeding duty too yes he had a sleep sleep deprived and he was working full-time during that time he needed to get back his energy so um, we both started seeking some help, and the here comes, you know, we have Nikki, so we asked her some help, and uh, initially uh, she gave me to see a Chinese doctor to get some initial help as well, but uh, at the same time we um, asked about, you know, um, you know, Gerson therapy and the food uh, how we can eat more healthy to get back energy. So she helped me a lot uh, in that journey. Um, thank you for that. Um, yeah, so I remember, because we, I mean, 
I was learning a lot about the Gerson therapy while I was living next mm-hmm. to you. Um, I had only just been certified a few years earlier. Um, I had started helping tons of clients with, you know, using food as medicine to regain their energy, to reverse their chronic diseases. Um, and um, and I know we had talked about it a lot. Like we had even talked about putting juice in, like mm-hmm. cold pressed organic, um, you know, vegetable juice in Soske's feeding tube. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever do that? Yes, I did. Actually, mm-hmm. a couple of times I... Um, I did, and also one time I ran out of his formula in the village, and oh my gosh, what should I do? Oh yeah, there is green mustache, let's go there. And I got uh, some you know, carrot beet juice and gave him. And he was totally fine, and I was so happy. But later on, I found that I was not supposed to give the, um, um, that one is okay with G-tube, but G-J-tube, because the tube itself is so narrow, and once it gets um, some food stuck in there, it will be a huge trouble. So I stopped doing it. But uh, I, I was really happy to do that. And uh, yeah, it was a great <laughs> experience. So here we are helping Soske and you then um, forget about your own health for a long time. So then um, you decided to do the Eat Real to Heal program. And what I th- another part that I found really interesting is as you started reading all about it and eating, like reading about like the food that you're supposed to make for yourself, it's, you know, predominantly all plant-based. We get rid of the sodium and all the processed foods. I mean, that's the Eat Real to Heal program that I teach. So you decide you want to do this. Mm-hmm. But then you came to me and you're like, I did this 20 years ago in Japan, right? You told me that you had found a very similar program yes. and you had already done that, but I guess you had, had you just forgotten about that? I Yeah, two years I did that one. Then I, I was so healthy, so then I um, I was, you know, happy, but I started ex- kind of uh, focusing on, like, what do I want to do from um there so i was busy traveling and uh, then eventually i think i lost a kind of a, a life i know eating habit because i didn't i couldn't carry the juicer or uh, that time i was using more like blender things so i i didn't have blender close to me and i was you know moving a lot so i i was not able to do that and also living in japan we have tradition we our traditional food um, is easy to access and w- traditional food itself is healthy but uh, um, but still we have so much you know refined sugar things and the sodium is in our diet these days so um, yes I, I kind of lost that part and yeah. It's normal to do that because we experiment with different things and we, I've had lots of clients who said, oh yeah, I used to eat like that. Or when I lived with my grandmother, she cooked like that. And, you know, and then, you know, you forget though, because often what happens to, I hear this all the time from clients is they start to feel so good. Mm-hmm. So they feel like they're resilient and then they just go back to, you know, I mean, it's a lot of work, right? Mm-hmm. So here you are, you've had shingles, you've been in bed for three to four months. Um, I remember seeing you at that time and my heart was breaking because I'm like, this woman has given her life life to this child like no other mother has done. Um, you know, most parents are sleep deprived for a couple years. You were sleep deprived for almost like, you know, six years. And then, um, and, and Junichi as well. Um, but still doing an incredible job raising like, you know, Nana and Soske in like a hard to raise children town, I sometimes find because like it's you're constantly go, go, go and putting them in ski school. And, you know, there's so many fun activities and it's a close community. So there's always things to do. And you are always present at these events um, as well. 
And so you do the Eat Real to Heal program. Junichi, what I love is that your husband did it with you. Yes. Right? And I think it's really, really important that when couples are, or when individuals are changing their lifestyle, you need to get the family involved. And it's the kind of thing that, I mean, everybody can eat the food. The kids can eat all the food. Um, You know, you can get creative, of course. And, you know, but at the end of the day, you're not eating the refined salt, the refined oil, the refined sugar. Everything comes from plant-based whole foods. Um, and in, in Japanese culture, I know, you know, eating a little bit of meat, mm-hmm. um, it definitely there's some people, um, it, probably the wealthier people in Japan are eating a lot of meat. Was that hard for you to give up the meat? Or did you give up the meat when you did it? When we did five weeks, I didn't eat. Okay. And Junichi didn't eat. And it was not that difficult. And mm-hmm. the traditional Japanese food, yes, we don't eat much uh, meat. Or really traditional one, we don't eat meat. We eat fish. That uh, meat was not part of our meat eating was not the big part of our food culture. So that what part was not that difficult. Okay, good. And in, what a lot of people don't know is in Canada as well. A um, hundred years ago, most people didn't actually eat very much meat at all. Like one mm-hmm. pig would would last a family an entire year. One pig. Now, I mean, people are going through probably a pig each like every other week Um, or cow or, you know, chickens like people eat four or five chicken breasts at a barbecue. Um, And so um, for some people, I mean, they do worry about that. So, um, okay, good. So I'm glad to know that giving up the meat wasn't um, too hard. Um, And so you engage in the Eat Real to to Heal lifestyle for five weeks. And um, I remember in the beginning, Janichi being like, this is crazy. Oh, my goodness. But then he came to me afterwards. And I remember he hit this point where all of a sudden his energy just went through the roof. And did the energy go through the roof for you as well? Did you find a... For me, um, I felt good, but I didn't feel so much you know, change rapidly like Junichi did. He had a, um, a detox kind of a reaction. The, the healing uh, reaction. Healing yeah. reaction. Three days after he started, and at one point he needed to be in bed. He couldn't go to work. And uh, I think fifth week, his energy started coming in. For me, like more like a gradual um, process. So I found it was really interesting, depending on the person, it's, uh, the, it's different. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and for Junichi, I can see that happening. Uh, for my husband, too, when he did it, it um, he definitely went through a healing reaction faster. But he also, I think for him, he hadn't been depleted the way I had been depleted. Um, and so for me, it took a lot longer on the program mm-hmm. to be able to reach the energy levels. Whereas for him, he hit the healing reaction, crashed, conserved energy, um, then his metabolism picked up, and then all of a sudden he got the energy. But, I mean, he hadn't birthed three children. He hadn't, you know, um, most mornings he'd wake up and be like, I had the best sleep last night and I was like yeah I was up 20 times feeding our child um you know and the other two girls climbed into bed with me and you kept snoring or you know he doesn't snore but you know what I mean so um I think it's a little bit different that um for men than it is for women for sure um plus I mean we're going through massive changes every month on a hormonal level with menstruating I mean there's just so many different things that we endure we have much higher estrogen levels and you know and that impacts impacts our health tremendously um and so how did you feel at the end of the five-week program I know Junichi was like oh my god this has changed my life this is amazing but how did you feel um, I was so happy I did that, and uh, my process was really slow or not so that obvious, as I said. But uh, the people around me said, oh, you look great, and you were changed. And also I noticed my sleep was much better. Mm-hmm. And when I woke up, I didn't have any um, really heavy energy draining kind of feeling anymore. So it definitely changed me. And uh, 
Junichi and I are so excited, and uh, we we want to continue as much as we can, and uh, and uh, we also started sharing this information with our, f- our friends and families, and uh, their reaction is really interesting. They, well, what you did? <laughs> some people know that the some regression um, therapy part, not everything, and so. Uh, they were interested in more about, and they started doing research by themselves too. So we we really love to uh, exper- you know, share my our experience, and also um, show what kind of books we read or online resources. And uh, so um, we're really now excited, you know, to to see ourselves healthy and enjoy again our life together as a family, and also. We want to see other people also get this kind of um, experience too. Especially, Junichi went back to Japan for for four weeks, and during that time, he um, so so many um, uh, people like our family members and friends are suffering um, some chronic disease, including cancer and uh, some depression and some other issues and all, all my friends in, in Hiroshima uh, wants to come and visit us and she has arthritis issue and she's she's it doesn't feel comfortable coming here by herself without her husband's support and it's you know it woke you know kind of a wake-up call for us that we if we can help some information um, about this, like including Sosuke's experience too, we love to do that, and uh, we'd like to see other people will be happy and healthy. That is amazing, including. and all of those conditions that you know you talked about with arthritis. My mom's just reversed her arthritis. She actually needed a knee transplant surgery, um, knee replacement surgery this uh, summer, and in the five week program, she actually reversed her arthritis. All the swelling in her legs, which she's had for twenty years, disappeared. She's able to walk for miles and miles now. In fact, they went to Portugal, and we just got back from Africa together. And where I mean, they just walked for miles. And for twenty years, I've heard this woman complain about her arthritic knees, and didn't hear her complain once. She sleeps through the night now. Um, you know, for people who have diabetes and depression, I mean, most of my clients with depression, it takes three to six days actually for that depression to lift and the mind to get clear. And for people, and it's really all comes down to we need nutrients in our body. When we have nutrients, those nutrients travel to the brain, but it also brings o- oxygen, and our brain is so dependent on oxygen, so you can't think clearly. But every part of our body is dependent on that. But unless you have, um, you know, the proper nutrients in the body to create and stimulate the production of mitochondria, which are your energy centers, you're never going to feel that energy and you're never going to have enough energy to heal from these Mm -hmm. chronic diseases and to prevent them and let alone reverse them. So that's the work that we're doing. But it sounds to me like... um, I definitely know and I love the fact that you're from Japan and you speak Japanese because we need more and more people mm-hmm. who can translate this knowledge into other language. I mean, the Gerson book has been translated, I think, into over 20 different languages now. Um, it's being translated into a particular language, which I cannot remember. But um, in India right now, for one um, state in India, which is fantastic. And I mean, so people around the world are finally able to get this information. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, what is the Gerson therapy? It's plant-based whole foods, you get to eat some grains, you get to eat, um, you know, an abundance of food, like you never have to starve yourself. Um, You get to eat really as much as you want, because at the end of the day, they're high nutrient foods, they're low calorie, and there's no refined product. So there's nothing to get in the way of your body just doing what it's designed to do, which is to 
thrive, to regenerate, to heal, um, and to provide energy. So um, can we provide your name and contact information at the bottom of our podcast? We'll put a bunch of links below. I also want to put a link to the hospital in Graz as well. And can we do that so that Mm -hmm. if anybody who hears this podcast who has a child um, that they want to help get off their feeding tube, mm-hmm. that they could reach out to you and ask you for advice? Mm-hmm. Yes, of course. Okay, that's amazing. It has been such a pleasure having you on the show. Akiho, you are a renegade. Um, you're a health warrior. You are an incredible human being. Everything that you've done for your son um, and everything that you're doing for yourself, because I think at the end of the day, if we give everything over to other people, but we don't take the time to nourish ourselves, then we're of no service to anybody. Mm-hmm. So you've done that for yourself now, which is wonderful. And I hope you continue on that path and we'll be here to support you all throughout the way. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be here and share my story. And so, um, yes, that empowers me again to myself too. Thank you. Awesome, Akiho. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. Hope you enjoyed this episode and please let us know if you have any questions or if you want to provide feedback on any of our shows, contact us by emailing us at info at richerhealth.ca. And you can also subscribe to our newsletter to receive information about our upcoming events, to learn more about the healing retreats that we offer at our Nutrition and Detox Wellness Center, and to get a copy of our latest book titled Eat Real to Heal, of course. Lastly, if you want one of us to do the cooking for you, just come visit us at the Green Mustache Organic Cafe in your neighborhood. 